If you're new to Wednesday nights, we're going through the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and tonight we are in 1 Corinthians 14, so if you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. If you need a Bible this evening, there's some by the doors, you can pick one up and study along with us. As we approach this chapter tonight, we're going to talk about the gift of the Spirit and specifically the gift of speaking in tongues. And as I was preparing for this message, it hit me that the church of Corinth erred on the side of not doing things in order. They were really abusing specifically the gift of tongues, and we're going to talk about that tonight. But I don't think that that's most of our struggle here this evening. If we were to talk to this group, specifically this Wednesday night group, we're a very orderly bunch. I don't think we have to worry about any of you standing up tonight and speaking in tongues and meeting our ushers face-to-face, meeting our security team face-to-face. If you're like me, the rest of us, we're struggling with how does specifically the baptism of the Holy Spirit the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit work in my life. And it's easy for us in our setting to completely set aside the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna talk about doing things in decency and in order, but we miss the other half of that verse. It says, let all things be done in decency and in order. And I'm sure for some of you, you may be saying, well, the gift of tongues, it's not for me. I've already been there with the Lord and the Lord's chosen to not give me that gift and I'm closed off to the gift of tongues and really, I just think it's really weird. So I decided for the Lord, it's not for me. That is definitely not for me. I'm not gonna operate in the gift of tongues. I don't wanna see anybody operate in the gift of tongues. There's just been too many abuses. I'm gonna leave that aside. The word of prophecy, that's just too funky. It just smells funky. You know, it's just weird when people come up and say, well, God's given me a word of the Lord for you. It's like, that makes the back of my hair stand up, to be honest. I've, I've seen that abused so many times. I'm just like, don't even try that with me, right? You know, like, you're not, that's not going to work with me. If God wants to talk to me, he's got my number, right? That's what we always say. So we just throw out the whole idea that God could give a word of prophecy specifically to an individual. So here's my challenge for you as we go through this chapter tonight is let's look at what God's word has to say about the Holy Spirit and then to see how it plays into our lives. Because for me, I tend to be a fairly organized person, fairly logical person, at least I'd like to think so. So when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's challenging for me because it doesn't fit into this tight, neat box. And specifically when it comes to the gift of tongues, when God's asking me or saying, do you believe in something that is beyond what you understand? Well, I don't know about that. I'm not comfortable with that. So this is what we're going to seek to find is what does the scripture say? And we don't want to err outside of that. We don't want to err on this ultra charismatic where there's no order and there's the abuse of the gifts. But at the same time, we don't want to throw out the spirit. We don't want to throw out the gifts of the spirit. It's kind of like marriage. There's a lot of awful things that happen under the name of marriage. And maybe you grew up in a home like that. And all marriage was was a ton of hurt in your life because you never saw your mom and dad love each other. And you could go on and on in the pain of that. But I bet at some point in your life, 
you're going to muster up the courage to be married. And maybe you've already decided to be married. And at some point you decided, I'm not going to allow the abuse to rob me from the joy of being married. And maybe you haven't made that decision yet, and I would encourage you to. Maybe you grew up in a very unhealthy home. Believe in the Lord enough to know that he can give you something that's better than what you experience. And it's same with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you experienced a lot of abuse with the Holy Spirit. People doing all kinds of craziness under the name of the Holy Spirit. Well, don't throw it out altogether. And let's see what the Lord would have for us. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this section of scripture, we do pray that you would bring real clarity, real understanding. Unfortunately, the gift of tongues and the gifts of the Spirit, Lord, there's been so much division, there's been so much confusion, and we want to understand what your word says, but we don't want to err on any side of this issue. And God, we do pray for a work of your Spirit in our lives. We know we can't do it apart from you, the power of the Spirit. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Order matters, doesn't it? When you go to the hospital, do you want there to be order when it comes to the emergency room? When it comes to surgery, you're probably looking, if your right knee needs surgery, that they have marked correctly, that they haven't accidentally marked the left knee. I appreciate order when I come to the hospital. Also, the dentist office is a great place for order. We've had a couple of our children have to have teeth pulled, and I don't want chaos when it comes to the dentist's office. I don't even really want warm, fuzzy feelings. You don't even have to ask me how my day is going, because it's not going very well. I'm at the dentist's office. Some children have got to get their teeth pulled. We're having some anxiety about this as, as a family. All the feelings don't really matter. I just want to know, do you know what you're doing? And do you have this figured out? And is there some order when it comes to this? Airlines, as much as we hit the snooze zone, we do appreciate some order when we get onto a flight. Safety does matter. We want to make sure that someone competent is flying that plane. It gets really frustrating when you go to a restaurant and there's a lack of order, isn't there? You're hungry, you're tired, you want some good food, it's been recommended to you, and you go in and the menu doesn't make any sense. They don't know what they're serving. And once again, when I go to a restaurant, I don't want something like, well, what do you feel like today? Well, it's not what I feel like today, what are you good at making today, right? What do you actually make that, that tastes good? And, and order is really, really important. Inside a home, order in the kitchen is multiplied to a great degree of success. Amber, my wife, she, she brings great order to the kitchen, and I do a great job of messing up that order. I always put things in the wrong places, and like, what, what's the cheese grater doing up with the cereal? It goes in this cupboard. How did it? Well, it must have been one of the kids, but we all know it was not one of the kids. It was this guy right here, and Things really run smoothly when there's order in a kitchen. It, it's chaos when you go visit a family member, when you're staying with a friend, and you're like, can I help you unload the dishwasher? And you have no idea where anything goes. Order really matters in the kitchen, and order matters amongst the people of God. If you've noticed, as we have our gatherings together as brothers and sisters in Christ, there's order to it. There's thought. There's prayer. And the purpose of it is we want to see people edified. We want, to, everybody, we want every one of you to walk away with a clear understanding, to be able then to apply it to your hearts and your life, that your spirit was edified. Unfortunately, the church of Corinth had gotten away from order. 
If you've been studying with us in this letter, you know Paul's having to put together the pieces. And one of the things he's got to make right is what they're doing with their time congregationally. So let's look in verse 1 of chapter 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. We come off of 1 Corinthians 13 of what really matters. The love chapter is sandwiched in this discussion of spiritual gifts. Notice that love is something you have to pursue. It's something we have to work at. It's not something that comes naturally. It's something we have to give ourselves to over and over and over again, especially with one another as believers. And as we pursue love, we're to desire spiritual gifts. And that's the perfect balance to love, to edify, but to continue to be open to the move of the Spirit and how God would pour out supernatural gifts upon the body for edification. Can you say that you desire spiritual gifts? Can you say that you desire God's gifts in and through your life? I want to hit some of the basics tonight. Maybe you're saying, I don't know much of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. When we say the word Trinity, we're speaking of three distinct persons, but yet one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is indeed God. So when we speak of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's God giving gifts to us. The Holy Spirit is described as the helper and the comforter. Do you feel like you need help in your life? Do you feel like you need comfort in your life? Do you feel like you need power to be able to live out the Christian life? I think we would all agree with that. Then we need the Holy Spirit. So we should be desiring these spiritual gifts for the edification of the body. And Paul will develop this theme, and he says, especially prophecy. And he's going to compare prophecy from the gift of tongues and build the case that prophecy is more beneficial in a group setting like this than the gift of tongues. So the question is, what is prophecy? And if you look up this word in the Greek and Greek dictionaries, it does speak about foretelling the the future. There is that element in prophecy, and we see it throughout Scripture where there will be speaking of some future event, but it's also forth-telling the Word of God. It's declaring the Word of God. You think of Jeremiah the prophet, and he spoke of future events, but he also declared the Word of God. This is different from preaching, though. It's a different Greek word. Uh, When we talk about preaching, we're talking about someone who exposits the word, who teaches the word precept upon precept, who declares it as a herald, this is the message of God, and prophecy is a little bit different. Even though it involves the word of God, there's this element here where it does have to do with the future, it does have to do with specifically dealing with the heart of an issue. Look at verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So now we're talking specifically about this gift of tongues. And you're saying, I'm new to this. I'm new to the scriptures. What is this? Maybe you have an understanding of it, and it's a good reminder. In the book of Acts, we see God pouring out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, and they speak in tongues. Now, in 1 Corinthians, that's what Paul is writing about. It's a supernatural gift that God gives to particular believers. If you were with us in chapter 12, you know that not everybody has the gift of teaching. Not everybody has the gift of exhortation. Not everybody has the gift of tongues. But what it is, is it's declaring the wonderful works of God. 
And that's what we see in the book of Acts. It's when our known language, we reach a roof, we reach a, a plateau where we have no more words to express the goodness of God and may, God may grant the gift of tongues to express worship to the Lord. Notice very clearly in verse two, it says that tongue speaks to God, but not to men. So maybe you're gathered together with believers in a prayer meeting and there's opportunity for the gifts to be expressed and somebody says, thus says the Lord, my little children, you should be prepared for suffering. We're headed into famine. There's going to be difficulty. So, you know, prepare. This is arm up, toughen up. This is what you're supposed to do. Is that the gift of tongues? No, it's not. Because what does the gift of tongues do? It declares the wonderful works of God. And if that message came after someone spoke in tongues, so someone speaks in this unknown language, and then someone else says, well, this is the interpretation. We're headed into a famine, so, so prepare. I don't believe that's an accurate interpretation of that tongue. Why? Because tongues is always directed towards God. So it would be an interpretation, something of God is good, God is great, God is kind. God, we need you. It's directed towards the Lord, and it's very specific here. I think some of you have probably experienced some of this as you've gathered together with believers, and this could be a, a real light bulb for you in understanding that tongues is directed towards God. And that spirit, he speaks mysteries. And that's what's difficult for some of us. We're like, man, well, what, what's the purpose of this? Why, why would God give me a tongue that's unknown to me? And we'll see as we continue on in the text but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to all men. So tongues is directed towards the Lord, but prophecy is directed towards men. And it provides edification, which means to be built up. It provides exhortation, which means to take the next step in our life, the next necessary step in our lives. And it also provides comfort. Prophecy should have an element of comfort to it, even though at times it's weighty because God wins in the end, amen? It's this understanding that God has knowledge of us. And if, even if it's a difficult message for us, it shows God's love to us. In verse four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So what's the reason for the gift of tongues? One of the reasons is so that an individual could be edified. Now maybe you're saying tonight, you know, tongues is not for me. I love the spirit, but I'm, I'm not gonna be even open to God giving me the gift of tongues. Well, are you really torn up, broken down, wondering how your spirit could be built up? And you're like, well, yeah. One of the ways is God may want to give you the gift of tongues to where when you're in worship to the Lord, he gives you this unknown language and you're done speaking in tongues and your spirit is edified. Your spirit is built up. That's one of the purposes for the gift of tongues. But when someone prophesies, it's not just a individual getting edified, but it's the edification of the whole church. Do you know where this is going? Paul's building a case to say that unless there's interpretation of a tongue, that it doesn't belong in a group congregational setting and that a word of prophecy or word of teaching, something very clearly understood is more appropriate for that situation. Verse five, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues 
unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And all of a sudden with this verse, our mind is blown a little bit that Paul actually would desire that everybody at the church of Corinth would speak in tongues. And is that our understanding of speaking in tongues? Do we see it as a good thing and a gift to be desired or is it something where we go, man, that's foreign to me. I've seen it abused, so I wouldn't want it to be part of my life. I'm living just fine without it. And here's the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Spirit, and he's saying, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more so, I wish that you all prophesied, and we're saying, I'll take neither. <laughs> if I'm honest, I'm not comfortable with either one of these. Is there room in your theology of God and his love to work in people that God could give you supernatural insight into the life of someone else to bring them to Christ or to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. Or you would have no way of knowing, but you could look into their eyes because of what the Spirit is telling you to know, I know right now that you're very discouraged and you're thinking about ending your life and you're afraid to tell anybody. Uh-uh, because what happens if you get that wrong? There's a, some responsibility that comes with that. You can't go around throwing the Holy Spirit on everything. You, and even in that moment, it would be wise to probably ask it this way. How are you doing? Are you discouraged? Are you considering taking your life? As opposed to, well, the Holy Spirit just told me that you're suicidal, right? Because then if you're wrong, it's what? It's a Holy Spirit issue. And you didn't hear from God right. And now this person's left with all this weight and all this baggage that they shouldn't have to carry. Come at it at a natural way, but allow the Lord to possibly use you in, in that way. It's powerful when it's done right. It's powerful when it's done through the submission of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is full of it. The ministry of Jesus Christ is filled with it. But again, for us, it's very foreign from our context. So we go, I don't know about speaking in tongues, and I don't know about a word of prophecy. Those both seem very strange to me. But Paul's saying, man, it would be great if you spoke in tongues. It would be even better if you prophesied because when you're gathered together, the whole church may receive edification. And this is a great truth for us to walk away with tonight, a mindset for us to have, is God really wants us aware of one another in any setting with believers. And especially as we, we gather together. And we have such an individual mindset of our worship and time in the word that we only see ourselves in worship. We only see ourselves in, in Bible study. And God's going, did you do anything to edify anybody around you when you gathered together with believers? Did you see that person sitting next to you? Were, were you aware of how your actions may have affected them in one way or the other? And that, that's what Paul's really trying to get across to the church of Corinth. If someone was coming into worship and they were having a great time, speaking in tongues, but everybody else was confused. You know, they, they were having a, a great time. Everybody's speaking in tongues all at once, but an unbeliever's walking in going, those people are crazy. You know, they, they've lost their mind. I was so freaked out to go in there. Now I'm never coming back. There was no order in that place, only complete confusion. And, and Paul's saying, make sure everybody is edified. Verse six, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophecy, or by teaching? So remember, tongues is a mystery. Tongues is directed towards God. 
Tongues isn't a, a known language to, to, to the group. And so Paul's like, well, what if I came and just spoke in tongues and you had no understanding of what I was declaring to you? It would be better to come through revelation, through knowledge, through prophecy, or by teaching. In verse 7, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is pipe or played? Yes, somebody can get up on the piano and pound it, and it's not a pleasant sound. It's not an understandable sound. But when someone else gets up and they know how to play it, it's a beautiful sound. There's distinction in the sounds. It goes on to say, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. A trumpet can be used to call men into battle. But again, if you grab a trumpet and you just start making all kinds of, of noises, it, it does no good. And again, Paul is showing the importance of speaking with clarity and speaking with, with understanding. Verse 10. There are, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. True? Every language has, has its place and has its significance. Kevin and Wendy have been with us from Chihuahua. They're missionaries down in Chihuahua that were part of Sean and Lisa's church, and Kevin's been working on translating the scriptures into Tepewan for 20 years. 20 years. And he just finished last week on Thursday up in our offices at RMC because they've been up here on furlough for nine months. That's awesome, isn't it? That, that's cool. Because that language matters because it's a people group that's behind that, that language. So, so every language is significant and important. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. The language is important and significant. If you don't know the language, you're on the outside, and it's exhausting. I remember being down in, in Mexico when I was in college, being in a, a Spanish service, and bless their hearts, it went for hours, and I literally mean hours. Like, if you think I can preach long, man, I they were going for it. And worship, it was just, it was going for it. And teaching, and it was all in Spanish. There was no translation into English. And I was trying to understand. Like, I was like, okay, I bet I know some of these worship songs. I'm going to do my best to sing along. I'd open my Bible and try to track what the pastor was saying. And I felt like I got ran over by the truck by the end of that service. So I didn't know the language, right? And, and that's what Paul's saying. If there isn't clear communication, then there isn't the opportunity for edification. In verse 12, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Some people get their priorities wrong when it comes to spiritual gifts. They get the cart before the horse. They want to experience the supernatural. They want to experience the Holy Spirit. They want to experience the gift of tongues and the word of prophecy. And they're, they're zealous for all of these things, but they lose sight of the purpose. The, the, the gifts are not an end to themselves, but they're a means for the body of Christ to be edified and for unbelievers to come to know Christ as their Savior. And this is important with any spiritual gift that God gives to us. The gift of administration is not to just show off administration. 
it's for the purpose of edification. And that's where the church of Corinth had, had got, gone wrong. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if a man, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So anytime a person is with believers and they do speak in tongues out loud, they should also pray for an interpretation because if there's no interpretation, only the person that spoke the tongue is edified, but everybody else is going, what did you just say? I don't know. I don't understand. So for sake of clarity, that the tongues is this supernatural tongue that's directed towards God that there is an understanding of, and then the interpretation is the meaning of what was just spoken. So, so this is what was just declared. And the test for that is if it's directed towards the Lord. So Paul's saying, my spirit maybe was edified, but my understanding, there, there wasn't fruit. Verse 15, what is the conclusion then? So Paul's giving his conclusion, but he's going to go on for a long time. So what is the conclusion? I pray with the spirit, and I also pray with understanding. I sing with the spirit, and I also sing with understanding. So, so Paul's saying, I do both. I, I pray with understanding, but I also pray in the spirit. So, so Paul experienced the gift of tongues in his own life. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? At your giving of thanks, since he doesn't understand what you say. So if there's no interpretation, how can somebody agree? Amen means so be it. You know, it's like, hope the Broncos have a good season. Amen, so be it, right? There's, there's agreement, you know, that, that's what amen means. Isn't God good? Amen, so be it. Yeah, I'm, I'm in on, on that statement. So if there is an interpretation of a tongue, how does someone say amen? How do they show that they're in agreement with that truth? Verse 17, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So we need to be asking this question as we serve the Lord, as we try to operate in the gifts that he gives us, are people getting edified? Are people getting built up? Maybe I'm doing my thing and I think it's pretty good or maybe people are telling me it's pretty good. Okay, let's set all that aside and Lord, would you show me, are, are people getting built up? Are their lives being, being encouraged? Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So again, Paul's saying, man, tongues is a beautiful thing. It, it's a wonderful thing. Yet in church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And I got to tell you, this pretty much settles the issue for me when it comes to us gathering together. Because Paul's saying, you know, man, tongues is awesome. And I love praying in tongues, and I would encourage you to, to pray in tongues. But when we get together, I would rather just speak five words that you could understand than get up and speak in tongues the whole time and have you confused. And that's why we've chosen as a leadership for our congregational time, the time that we gather all together to emphasize the teaching of the word because we believe that you can leave with the most understanding. I can leave with the most understanding. But again, don't throw out the Holy Spirit because of that. It's the appropriate place, the appropriate time, and the appropriate way. In verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. 
So Paul's saying understanding is important and continue to grow in the knowledge of God. Continue to grow in spiritual truth, but be innocent in hatred. Be innocent in malice. Verse 21, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. This is quoting Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12. Paul uses this Old Testament reference to say tongues doesn't always bring someone to the place of receiving Christ as their Savior. Even when they hear these supernatural tongues that they didn't know, they don't hear and they don't respond. In verse 22, therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Tongues was a sign in the book of Acts, wasn't it? If you study the book of Acts. They began to speak in tongues. Those who were gathered from all different countries heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. Different people from different countries, different people groups, and they were all hearing the wonderful works of God. And it was a sign to the unbeliever. And prophecy directed towards the believer. In verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Paul is not contradicting himself. Verse 22 says tongues is a sign to unbelievers, but then verse 23 describes an unbeliever coming into a place where There's abuse of the gifts of tongues. Everybody's speaking in tongues, but there's no interpretation. There's no understanding. So they're left going, man, these people are absolutely crazy. That's not what God would desire when someone that's an unbeliever comes around believers. It's not what we would would desire. Would you want to bring a friend that doesn't know Christ their Savior, a family member, and come in and everything's chaos and everybody's speaking in tongues? I knew you were one of those Jesus freaks, but now there is no doubt about it, right? I'm running, running for my life. In verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convinced by all. They're saying, wait a second. I thought in just verse prior, verse 22, that Paul's saying prophecy is for the believer, It is primary for the believer, but it also works in the life of the unbeliever as well. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus asked her for a drink of water. Jesus got deeper into her life. said, why don't you go get your husband? She's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, he said, well, you've spoken well because you have five husbands and the guy that you're with is not your husband. She's like, whoa, he knows everything about me. She's running into town. I met a man who knows everything I've ever done and all of the men clear out of the city. This guy knows my secrets, right? Because their lives were entwined with this lady in a a sinful way. And it's a revival that, that takes place. And how did it happen? through word of prophecy. Jesus was operating in the word of prophecy. God knows everything about you. There's no secrets. There's no, no place, place to hide. And that's a, a good, effective way of the use of the gift of prophecy. In verse 26, 
How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. This is not a verse that's giving us a manual of how to conduct ourselves when we gather as believers. When you look at the context of 1 Corinthians 14, they were coming together, each with their agenda, and trying to all speak on top of each other. So you had some speaking in tongues while someone else is over here going, God just gave me a song. And then someone else is over here like giving a teaching. And it's just this mass pandemonium. It's this mass craziness that's happening and there's no order to it. It's not like, okay, why don't you speak in tongues? Let's wait on interpretation. Okay, God's given you a psalm. He's given you a song. Why don't you get up and, and sing your song? And so now is this exhortation, let all things be done for edification. We need to put some order into this. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. So Paul's saying, okay, if it is going to be opened to the gifts of the Spirit operating, there should only be two or three people speaking in tongues for that particular gathering, and there should only be one interpreter. What Paul is saying is this shouldn't be the only thing that happens in the service. There should be some other things that are taking place as you're gathered together. Two or three at the most, one interpreting for the point of clarity. In verse 28, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak himself into God. So as believers are operating in this, if there's tongues, you should wait for interpretation for an interpreter. If there's no interpreter, whoever's leading that prayer meeting should say, okay, we need to move on. There's no interpretation. God's not giving us interpretation. So we need to move to something else at, at this time. In verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let others judge. So anytime someone is getting up speaking that God is giving them a word, that he has spoken something to their hearts and lives, we should run it through a filter. We should judge it. Not in the place of condemnation, but to see if it's really from the Lord or not. It has to line up with scripture. If someone says, well, well, God spoke to me about this, does it line up with scripture? Does it line up with the character and nature of Jesus Christ? Does it line up from what we see in the book of Acts and throughout the, the epistles? You know, ladies, don't fall for the first guy that comes to you and says, the Lord told me that I'm gonna marry you. Your response should be, you're a weirdo, don't ever call me again. You know, it's like, yeah, run it through filter. You may, wait and see, examine their, their character. And so you are to be in that place where we evaluate it, but be open to it. But if anyone is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So don't speak on top of each other. If someone's prophesying, wait till they're done and then you can speak with your, your word of prophecy. This is basic table manners, right? This is the stuff that our parents taught us. Don't interrupt. In verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. This is a really important verse, church, because you're going to come across people that say, I was being so moved by the spirit, I just didn't have any control. I, I couldn't help but to speak up at that moment. Like right now we're going through this Bible study and we're studying the word of God 
And if you just start to stand up and speak and, and, and interrupt, and you're like, it was, it was the Holy Spirit. I don't have any control over it. I was simply yielding to, to the Holy Spirit. Well, what does this verse say? It says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Self-control. So the Holy Spirit's not going to interrupt itself. And that's what Paul's saying is, is you do have self-control in this issue. At different times, there's different movements that are all attached to the Holy Spirit. And there was a movement that was popular some time ago of, of holy laughter. The Holy Spirit just got a control of me and I couldn't help but just laugh. And you may be in a place where you're stumbled by that, but I don't have any control. I'm just gonna roll around up here on the stage and laugh because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the scripture says, what is it? again, the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. There's gonna be self-control. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. It's a really important verse for us to know and understand. In verse 33, for God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as is in all the churches of the saints. So when believers come together, there shouldn't be this leaving, this mass confusion. What did the pastor say? What was all that tongues? What was, the, what was the word of prophecy? What was that song? That's the weirdest song I've ever heard in my life. It made no sense. There's no understanding that, that came from, from that song. I'm not sure if it was directed towards God or we were singing a Nirvana song. I don't, I don't have any idea, you know? There's just, I don't know how, you know, smells like teen spirit really fit with the message, but I'm sure it had some point in there. God's not the author of confusion, right? He, he's one of peace. He's, he's logical. He's sensible. It should make sense. It's a truth for us in gathering together as believers, but it's also a truth for us in our lives. Are you trying to make a decision? Are you wrestling through what you're supposed to do? God doesn't author confusion. And we get confused and discouraged and off track when we get double-minded. James 1 tells us that we're to ask God for wisdom in faith, and he'll give it to us, but don't doubt it. Because once you doubt it, then comes someone who's tossed in the waves. Then comes the confusion. So many times I've been confused in my life because I've doubted the wisdom that God has given to me. God's not authoring that. It's my doubt that has authored that confusion. We look at verse 34. It says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. We're just going to leave that one alone and go to verse 36. <laughs> Again, what is happening in the church of Corinth? Order matters. Let things be done in decency and order. And part of the chaos that was happening is there were all of these questions being thrown out in the middle of when they were trying to gather together. Now we know from 1 Corinthians 11 already, from what we've studied, that it's completely ordained and allowed by God for women to pray and prophesy inside of a congregational gathering. Paul laid that out in 1 Corinthians 11. So, Women keeping silent isn't that you can't pray when men are around or you, you can't speak forth the, the word when men are, are around. That's not what's being addressed here. 
And the important thing to look up in the Greek here, and I'll read from Alan Redpath. It says, Alan Redpath points out that Paul uses the Greek verb leho, which means to talk, to question, to argue, to profess, or to chatter. Men would sit on one side at this time and women on another, and apparently the women were not waiting till the end of the service. They were just going, hey, honey, what do you think about that? And just throwing the question across the aisle. And so it was part of the disorder that was taking place. Now, obviously, with a verse like this, it does raise the question of women pastors. And I can't go fully into that, but if you look clearly in 1 Timothy 2, it says that a woman shouldn't teach and have authority over a man. And there's difference from praying in church and encouraging in church than from being the pastor or part of the, the pastoral staff, which establishes the doctrine for the church and the church discipline, the primary teaching. And some of you may be going, man, I have a lot of questions on that, is it just cultural? And in 1 Timothy 2, it goes on to express, and Paul says, this is, goes back to Adam and Eve and the way that God has designed it. Women, it's not that you're somehow, you know, not equal with men. That's not it at all. God has given us different roles. And women, you might be saying, I feel really called to teach the word. Well, God gives us direction for women to encourage other women. You should be pouring your life into other women and teaching other women the word of God and also to, to be teaching children. But that spiritual authority in the church, that primary teaching role, that lead pastor role, those men that are establishing the doctrine and church discipline, it's laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 2. But the issue that's being addressed here were the questions that the women were asking not in an orderly manner. And verse 35 then says that wives are to go to their husbands first. It says, go to your husband and ask this question of your husband. Why is this, ladies? And we don't live in a culture that functions this way anymore, but I think there's wisdom in it. If you have a spiritual question, try asking your husband. You're saying, well, my husband doesn't care. Well, there's this amazing thing about men. When we're asked a question and we don't know, we're going to look into it, you know. Oh, I'm, I don't know, babe, but let me get back to you on that. You know? Men have come to know the Lord because their wife was asking them spiritual questions. Because it's caused them to search out the scriptures. It's caused them to be hungry for the word of God. And also, we as men we're weird creatures. Men, let's just own that. We're, we're, we are weird. But it's easy for us to feel disrespected. So as soon as our wife goes ask someone else, it's like, what, so I wasn't good enough to answer that question? And if we don't know, we'll usually look into it. And then if we can't find the answer, then we might say, hey, let's go talk to our pastors about it. That's a great question. Let's go together and let's learn together. But it prevents the husband from feeling disrespected. It also produces hunger, it provokes hunger in his heart and in his life. In verse 36, or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it, that it ah, excuse me, I'm going to back up. Verse 36, or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? That's some convicting questions right there. We approach scripture with a very low level of respect, almost like we were the ones who wrote it. Our culture says, I don't really like this part. This part's offensive. 
I don't like what this has to say about God. I don't like that this is the way that God wants me to, to live our lives. And we start editing it like we're the author. And Paul just lays it down here and he says, did you write this? Did you originate this? There must have been some resistance when it came to the spiritual gifts being used in an orderly fashion. And Paul's saying, look, you, you can't resist this. The Lord is the one who is, is giving his word here. We're not the only one that it has reached. It's not this private interpretation. You shouldn't take someone's word for it when they say, I want to take you into a deeper knowledge of God. Like, like they're the special ones with the inside track. Now, you should be able to read your Bible and get the clear message that, that it speaks. Verse 37, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So Paul's saying, do you, do you think you're a prophet? Do you think you're spiritual? Then you would know that I'm speaking the commands of God. But if you want to be stupid, you can be stupid. That's in verse 38. <laughs> saying if you want to be ignorant, if you don't want to learn, then that's your choice. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Paul doesn't get so frustrated by the abuses of the gifts of the Spirit to throw it all out. He says desire prophecy, desire for God to work through your life supernaturally, to get to the heart of the issue, to know what's really going on. And, and don't forget bid speaking in tongues. If someone does speak in tongues, then wait upon the Lord for the interpretation but let all things be done in decency and in order. And there's the perfect balance that's so hard to strive for. Decency and order. Don't allow it to be chaos. Don't allow the spiritual gifts to be used in a way where people are not edified. But at the same time, don't limit the work of the Spirit. Let all things be done. I think there's some clear applications for us tonight. And the first is this. A mindset and heart of edification. That's clear in 1 Corinthians 14. Am I concerned with the benefit and the building up of others? The second is to value spiritual gifts. Desire those spiritual gifts. Are you open? Again, like I said in the beginning, I don't think we're erring on the side of things being chaos, but we may be erring on the side of not desiring spiritual gifts. Maybe you've never been open to God giving you the gift of tongues and your private prayer language before the Lord. Why not ask him? Say, God, if you desire to give me the gift of tongues, kind of freaks me out. I don't understand it, but I'm open to it. And if the Lord grants that to you to edify your spirit, praise the Lord. If he doesn't, you trust him as well. Okay, Lord, this whole prophecy thing really freaks me out. I have a hard enough time just talking to my neighbor, just asking him how their day was. But if you want to do something fully supernatural, I'll trust you. I'm open to that. God, if you want to move in my life to Pray for someone to, to see God heal their heart, to heal their life, to heal their disease for, for your glory. I would never dream of something like that. But again, have we just checked all of that off to say, man, I don't, I don't believe in any of that. God can't work in that way anymore. It'll always glorify Jesus. It'll always edify believers, but we're to value spiritual gifts. And then lastly, the importance of the gifts being used in order. Yep, order matters in the hospital the dentist's office, restaurants, in the kitchen, but also at church. <laughs> Amen? So let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge, Holy Spirit, that you're God. Father, we want to surrender our hearts and our lives afresh to you. And 
Lord, however you desire to move in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to be open, help us to be flexible, help us to not be so rigid that we miss the work of the Spirit in our lives. You tell us that the Spirit's the comforter and the helper, and we want to experience that to the fullest. We look at our own hearts, and we look at this world, and we know it's going to take a work of the Spirit. Or to help also there, there to be order, help it not to be abused in any way in our lives and in the life of our church. So God, would you bring edification as we spend time in communion? Would you minister to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.